This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, listeners. Hello, Jared here um, from HMGS Next Gen, Gen Inc. and Nasaga. Um, I have a really cool guest today. Now, this is a, I would consider this person a kind of a personal friend. Um, I met him a number of years ago at NashCon through our mutual, uh, absolutely lovely, but absolutely nuts friend, uh, Titch White, who I'll get on this podcast eventually. Um, but we've got Corey Ring here. And uh, Corey Ring is from a, company called cigar box battles and look he'll he'll talk about this throughout the podcast but ultimately i I, i'll inflate his ego right off the bat if you've ever played a game on a really nice looking um mat meaning like a fleece tabletop with an awesome image on it or something along those lines um i don't know if Corey would say he invented it but like i i i would say that like modern wargaming mats you really can kind of trace it back to cigar box battles so on that note Corey Ring. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? Always good to see you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a while since we've actually seen each other's faces because I think I went to NashCon maybe in 2017 or 2018. That's right. It was right? Uh, it was kind of pre-pandemic and we, you know, we got to we got to hang out and roll dice and had a great time. Yeah. And and you know, I, I always bring this up, but the cool thing uh about war gamers is, you know, uh, after that first introduction, we just kind of hit the ground running. Like we've been best, friend, best friends our whole life. It's like, hey, what do you like to game? What period? All right, what rules? Let's start rolling some dice, right? No, so, absolutely. Uh, you're talking, you're basically, Corey, you're basically talking about my career. I mean, I've basically said that in academic circles. I mean, games are just great in that sense, right? And exactly what you're talking about, kind of like our mutual friend, like one of my best friends in the world, Titch White, who um, you know, I met when I was like a little kid and he was in college. And really, like that's how I kind of found out about you. Cause if my memory serves me right, and I am getting I am getting a little old, but me too. you know, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I don't know if I'm old as you though, but I'm getting the gray in the beard though, as you can kind of see. So for our audience <laughs> listeners, right. yeah, we can see each other, but you guys thankfully can't see the gray in my beard. But if my memory serves me right, I said something along the lines of Titch, like, um, you know, I really need like a new table, like ground cloth, like a mat. And I think I had said something like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go to like, you know, Joanne's or like Michael's. And I think, I don't know what they are down by you. And because you correct me, yeah. if you're outside Atlanta now, right? Yeah. So I, I live outside in kind of an Atlanta suburb. Right yeah. Now. So Titch was like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go there. And he was like, and, and he basically sent me your info. And then from there, I, I must have like 20 of your mats. So awesome. Well, thank yeah, you. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, look, do you want to do like an origin story? Because that's a lot of times in this podcast what we do. I mean, for those of for those people that are listening that don't know you, Corey, um, I guess why don't we just start at the beginning? Like how how did you get into wargaming or gaming in general? You know, great question. Um, probably a pretty typical origin story. As a kid, I was just always attracted to um what you know, I remember one of my first things was going into toy stores and seeing the 54 millimeter Britain toy soldiers. So that that's what kind of caught my eye. And then you know, um, you know, John Wayne, the Alamo movie, right? You know, these historic, uh, my dad liked history a lot. And um, mm-hmm. he actually had Britons from when he was a kid in a fort and things like that. And, 
uh, just so, you know, seeing his stuff, you know, some of those old movies, you know, uh, Zulu, right. Some of the classics, right. Yeah. So what we call the war gaming classics and, um, you know, so, you know, kind of those things really kind of, uh, got me going. And then at some point, I think I kind of came across, um, you know, just uh, not so much wargaming, but, you know, D&D miniatures, kind of a, you know, I was a classic 80s kid, kind of started playing D&D, but then kind of gravitated for that to more toward the wargaming side. Right. Uh, you know, some some early Warhammer, battle system, chain mail, those kind of things. Um, you know, did some, so, you know, kind of some role playing. But then uh, when I really got, I'd say, hardcore into wargaming was when I went off to college. There was a group, I went to Florida State, but there was a group that would meet on campus and it was probably my, led by my wargaming mentor, Bob Freeman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bob would run these epic games, right? And, and they were all the old rules people complain about, like Empire, you know, oh, those God, kind of things. But, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he would set up games and they would run from, it'd be like, hey, meet here at, you know, 10 in the morning and we're going to game until 10 at night. You know, 12, oh, yeah. it was, these were planned for 12 hours, right? With a, a short lunch break. And it, and it would take that sometimes to resolve these big, you know, um, Johnny Reb one games or empire games or whatever we were playing. Um, but, you know, I, I've always been kind of a horse and musket player. So, mm-hmm. you know, American civil war, um, you know, Napoleonics, um, you know, uh, uh, Marlboro, um, you know, that's kind of, um, my bread and butter, so to speak. Right. Gotcha. Um, Where did you meet Titch? Because again, for our listeners out there, right? Wargaming tends to be a small circle, right? So I met Titch White, who again, we'll bring on at some point or another. Um, I met him in the early nineties when I was like a little kid, like he, he was like friends with my dad. Um, so where did you guys meet? Like, what's that sort of connecting piece? So, well, I remember that was always the story Titch had said about you that he was friends with your dad. I think yeah, he, he was. He, he played in DB, uh, DBA tournaments. I think yes, historic. That is your dad. that is yes, that is the reality of it. Yep. Yeah, Titch was a big DBA. But how I met Titch, an odd story was so he was uh, he was a friend of my brother's early on, and my brother's roommate at University of Georgia. Right. So um, they were roommates, and Titch just you know happened to be a gamer. And of course, you know back to what we were talking about earlier is when two gamers meet, it, it was you know just an immediate hey, well, what are you playing? I think Titch back then was collecting fifth, uh, again Empire fifteen millimeter Napoleonics. Yeah, and that's I, what he was into. Yep, and, and I was too. I was building an Austrian and a French army for eighteen oh nine, and um, actually I still have those armies. A lot of things I've sold, but those are I've kept those armies, and um, you know that, that we just connected. So Titch and I have been friends since. Yeah, probably the the, the 90s. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have a, actually one fun project that we've been running probably, well, actually since the late 90s is War of the Roses. So, and I think that was a game you played in at Nashcon. I we did. Big, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And yeah. I've seen so many of those pictures. So again, just for a little bit of context for our listeners out there. You know, if you're listening to this and you've never really dove deep into historical wargaming, you know, one of the things I can tell you is it's immersive. So once you get in... You know, I can tell you that these guys have been painting Wars of the Roses figures for a very long time. I mean, Titch must have thousands of them in his basement. So, so yeah, go ahead, Corey. So you want to tell yeah, the story? Say, so, well, so, you know, uh, that's that's exactly right. So what the project started is, hey, we're going to do, um, I think it was about Tewksbury, right? So we were going to build the order battle for Tewksbury. And we did that pretty quick. And then we just kept, it kept growing. So every year we keep adding units and we're still doing this. So this is a project that started in the nineties and every year we're adding more and more units. Um, 
And it's actually to the point, it's just kind of ridiculous now, right? So we yeah. can, we can, I mean, I think at NASHCON, the table was like 36 feet long and it had a fort at the uh, castle at the end and it had a naval component. There was a, you know, there was a beach with a, with some cogs out there in the water. And, um, you know, we can, it's a, it's a, just a, a really impressive game if you get a chance to see it, but it's taken years and years and years to, um, you know, uh, to, to build it up, but it's just a little bit every year. We just add a couple more units and yeah. it just keep rolling. Now, Titch is a, it, it, I'm a little, my interest is a little more varied. Titch is very specific. He, he pretty much does war of the roses, war of Spanish succession and 15 millimeter world war two. Right. So he has more than I do. Um, I, but again, I try to produce a few units every year and just keep that project growing. And eventually yeah. We want to run a game at a gaming store here in Atlanta. We already went in and talked to the store, but we're basically going to take over the store. What is it, Gigabyte? Well, Gigabytes is one, and there's another one called Level Up. Um, Level Up, okay, gotcha. Level Up Games, yeah. And we're basically, we'll need a whole row or two of tables, right? Oh, that'd be be sweet. You know, what's really important about that too, you know, um, uh, and by the way, for our listeners, you'll get to hear about Corey's mats in a little bit, right? But this is good stuff here. So, um, look, I would say this. I don't know about, you know, your area, but, you know, like when I go to comic stores, um, with very few exceptions, um, you know, it's usually sci-fi fantasy. It's usually, um, you know, Warhammer 40K and, you know, fantasy battle, Age of Sigmar and all that. So to hear about like a mega battle with historical miniatures happening, is just, it's really awesome to hear that. Um, when are, when are you guys planning on doing this? Well, we're not sure. Um, we're just kind of in the planning phases, but we'll definitely let you know. Um, yeah, no, you know, that's maybe, great. Yeah, maybe we'll get you down here. You know, oh um, no, for sure. I mean, next year yeah. I'd love to be part of something like that. You know, come on down, send a people, send a few people down, and maybe help help with the the game and the rules and stuff. You know, and the the concept that my 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 original concept was actually to do this kind of as a campaign. So maybe a few months leading up to the game, uh, doing some campaign moves, right? On, yeah. on a map, you know, and make the, uh, you know, once we have kind of a big climatic battle, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that always tends to happen in campaigns, right? There's usually this one big blowout battle. Um, that's, that's probably the, that's the battle that will run. Um, and of course, if we want to add some troops to it and just fluff it up, because we can change the scale a little bit of, you know, uh, of what we're doing. So, um, but just have a big climatic battle, the big final battle of the campaign here at either gigabytes or level up games. And I think that'd be fun. Have, you know, uh, you could have 10, 12 players aside, you know, we use simple rules. So we use some, uh, nineties throwback rules. We use Tactica. Um, Oh, that's a great game. Yeah, it, it resolves quick. Um, it, it's easy to it's easy to pick up on. It's you know handfuls of dice, and we've we've added a few modifications just to speed yeah. it up. Um, but uh, yeah, we use Tactica because we find that it, it just works great for um, mass kind of convention battles. Yeah, and by the way, for our listeners, just um, you know, if if you've never heard of that game, so Tactica was written by uh, didn't jump in here, Corey, if I'm wrong, but I believe Ar- that was an Artie Conliffe game. Maybe Ar- he was a New Ar- Yorker. Ar- yeah, Artie Conliffe. Yeah, he was yeah. in. Uh, he was a New Yorker. He was. He does, He's written a lot of great rules. Really, a lot of rules that I'd say really influenced. You know, in the '90s, were very impactful. Matter of fact, I think Tactica was really the first full color rule set that came out here in the United States. Yeah, or maybe it, maybe I, in the world. Yeah. I think you're right. Also, we we love using um, up here up here. Uh, you know, in the north, we love using um, the Tactica siege rules. You know, because a few of my friends have like the big miniature building authority. You know, castle and the siege rules are so much fun. It's like you know, it's like those. One of the, it's like a classic beer and pretzels game. You know, mm-hmm. old D six. You need a six to hit kind of thing you know exactly yeah so it's it's definitely a lot of fun um so 
let's okay. So let's make a transition here because the in the same way that you're talking about Artie being an influential person, and again, I don't mean to swell your ego here, but I think that you are as well, Corey. You know, like in terms of what you've done with your company. Um, so where do you want to start? Like, I, I guess here, maybe something like this. When was the first time you sort of sat down and said to yourself, the world needs like better quality gaming mats? Well, the, the, the origin story really was, you know, me sitting down and saying, Hey, you know, we, you know, we need to develop a mat, um, that will allow, you know, I want to be able to set up a game quick, right? So I just want to be able to take something, throw it in my backpack. This was the concept. So, I, you know, to backpedal even further, I had done terrain boards. You know, the thing with terrain boards, they're great, they're beautiful, but talk about storage problems. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, I had an attic filled with terrain boards, right? And then, you know, they would get dinged and you'd have to touch them up every, every once in a while. And they were great. Uh, they look great, but uh, I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I actually had a friend in Tallahassee, my gaming mentor, Bob Freeman, who um, he, he kind of developed this where he he actually just painted on a canvas. I mean, uh, these artistically, they were horrible, just being honest with you. You know, they were right. brown, you know, brown piece of canvas or just something he bought from Joanne Fabrics. And he would take some craft paints off the shelf from, from Walmart and just paint a blue river and a beige road and some splotches for the woods. But uh, what he was able to do, I remember one in particular, it was a portion of the Battle of Chickamauga uh, for the Johnny Red Rules. And um, he could roll that mat out, throw some lichen and model and trees on it, a few buildings, a few fences. And once he put the miniatures on there, it really looked great. And it really, you know, the, the, the setup time was really the angle, right? It allowed setup to be really fast. So that's what we were looking to do. And then oddly enough, kind of another name, kind of a big name in the gaming industry really was the one that encouraged me to do it. And, um, and also when I say me, so, uh, Chris Ward is also my friend. He was my neighbor in Nashville. We kind of came up with this together. Uh, Chris mm -hmm. was a graphic designer. So the original concept was I would, I designed the mats, meaning I, I the concept, I draw them out on a piece of paper. I still have some of the early prototypes. I give them to Chris who, mm -hmm. who by trade is a graphic designer and he would, you know, bring them to life. Right. So me and Chris really are the ones that got it going. Um, but we didn't look at doing this commercially. So we, at, at first we were just doing it for ourselves. Um, and then, but John Hill, right. Uh, of, uh, Johnny Reb and, um, you know, uh, squad leader fame was the one that said, Hey, you guys should do this, uh, you know, like commercially and the right. original concept, which is still relatively true is we just do it really to, uh, so we both have jobs. Me and Chris both have, you know, real jobs and the cigar box is really a two man show, mm -hmm. um, kind of a small business. And, uh, obviously we have a friend that's a printer that helps us out. Um, you know, uh, I don't have a printer in my garage or anything like that, right, but, um, right. you know, that helps us out with that. But we, um, it's just a small business and we were, you know, it was really designed as a way to make a little extra money to put back in the hobby. It's like, Hey, right. we sell a couple of mats, we buy some miniatures, right? We, yeah, we no, sell that's, a, couple that's mats, a great idea. <laughs> we buy some buildings, right? Right. I think right. a lot of gamers are that way, you know, it's oh, just 100%. like, it was like, yeah, I was like, hey, you know, it keeps my wife off my back, right? You know, about, <laughs> you know, with the, with the budget or whatever, right? So, no, totally you know, this is hobby money, right? was kind of a part of the original concept. But John was a really one that said, hey, you guys ought to go for it. Um, we had done a, uh, a, a, a kind of a prototype mat at NashCon for Shiloh. And um, it, it was very well received. I mean, people were like, where can we buy this? I'd say that's really what got it going. Yeah, that's you know, great. Everybody that walked up to the table said, where can I buy this? And it was just the one of, we had, we just had one made and, and, um, and that was that. What that's what kind of launched it, and then we made it uh, an LLC, and kind of the rest is history. So, and we've just been listening to 
you know, our uh, feedback. So people tell us kind of what they want. Obviously, we can't do everything, right? We get some unusual requests, you know, for very specific battles and things like that. But we really uh, just want to create great generic mats that people can put on the table and bring it to life for whatever period or scale they're trying to play. That's right. and set quick, quick setup. That's really what we're looking for. Right. So for our listeners, like if you, if you're, because again, there's so many different types of people that have different interests that listen to this podcast. So what I want you to picture, and and trust me, we'll give you like contact information at the end of the podcast. But what I want you to picture, if you've never war game before, is just imagine looking down at a tabletop. You know, instead of getting like a piece of felt or something like a green piece of felt that you're just going to roll it out, roll it out onto your kitchen table to play a war game. Just imagine like a like a essentially almost like a digitized image on a really nice piece of fleece that you can kind of put hills underneath to give yourself, you know, you know, like a 3D feel. And, and basically that's what that's what Corey's talking about, you know? And here's one thing that I mean, it's crazy to me. I mean, everybody I know has these things, and it's amazing that it's just the two of you, it's just you and a couple of printers, and that's basically the whole operation. That's unbelievable yeah, the, to me. Yeah, the whole operation is uh is is me. I'm kind of I'd say I'm the day-to-day business guy and that's right. kind of what I do with my real job. And, um, and then Chris is the, um, you know, he's kind of the, the, the art guy. He's so he's a graphic designer by trade and he's, right. um, you know, he, uh, that, that's kind of what he's the creative, right. Right. You know, creative director. And then we have a, a friend that uh, is, has a printing business that helps us on that end. So with the printing aspect. So, um, right. You know, that, that's really, I'd say it's a, it's a, you know, a, a two man show me and Chris with the help of a friend. So, right. um, now you have some connections with some other gaming companies, right? Because when I when I've been on your website, I mean, it seems like you make some pretty specific mats for some pretty specific games, right? Is that is that correct? Like, for example, like some of Sam Mustafa's games. Sure. Actually, we just came out with a Nimitz mat for Sam Mustafa's game. Um, we, we did the, the Guadalcanal uh, campaign mat. Mm-hmm. And it, interesting you bring that up because actually this will be the first uh, that we've talked about it. Well, we did put something on social media, but we're actually going to start doing posters. So um, we thought it'd be kind of neat to plot campaign moves on something smaller than a 6 by 4 mat. So right. we, we, we're, we've developed a 36 by 24 um, Basically, it's a poster, but it's vinyl. So it's not mm-hmm. paper. It's more like a vinyl mat. Um, right. And it works on it works perfect. Um, so we're actually going to um, do some of those for people that just for skirmish games. I mean, anything that you could play on basically that size mat, uh, which would be, you know, very, like I said, very small skirmish games or uh, pub style battles, you know, for on our Nashville mat or, um, you know, uh, our Shiloh mat, you can do that. So, I mean, it's just about what you, you know, be as creative as you want, but we're going to introduce those. Um, we've worked with Osprey for Across a Deadly Field with John mm-hmm. Hill. So we did some, we did some mats specifically for Osprey um, and um, Ranger to Shadow Deep, right? From Joseph McCullough. We did mats yeah. for that. Um, we've worked with quite a few uh, other companies as well, smaller companies that want help with the Kickstarter. For example, Flint and Feather from Crucible Crush. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we did some mats for them for a Kickstarter and, um, we're just always looking to collaborate, right? So, uh, you know, uh, I'd say if you're a gaming company and you got something you want to do, reach out to us. You know, we'd be happy to uh, collaborate or cross promote. Um, you know, just uh, we're just we're just gamers, and we just want people to play games and have fun, and and you know, we're, we just want to produce mats that people like and and uh, makes it makes their game you know better. So, um, yeah, but we've worked with quite a few companies, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, what I really kind of like about, you know, your whole mentality behind, you know, this company is you're, you're being honest, like you're doing it for the love, right? I mean, 
I'm sure that you're able to kind of replenish your miniatures pile, right? Through some of the proceeds. But like, I can speak to this directly that like, I know for a fact that you've helped me out, like in terms of running games in schools and the work that I've done with NextGen in terms of helping us out with mats. You know, if there's something really specific that that you can play on. I just wish more companies would do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, we uh, well, we we really love what you guys are doing because mm-hmm. you know we're we're big supporters of you know getting kids in gaming and the younger crowd in gaming, and so that's why you know we really like supporting uh, you guys because that that's a great cause, right? We need yeah. you know uh, you know I kind of wish somebody had done that when I was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. I never had anybody come to the school or set up something in the library because uh, I probably would have been gaming at an earlier age. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that uh, that's an important part, right? So um, we had talked uh, Buck to Buck Surdu. He's had since moved though uh, to Florida, but when he uh, he was going to before he moved, we were going to do something um, at Historicon. We were going to d- donate a bunch of mats to give away to some kids. So they run a lot of uh, the Hawks run these kids games, yeah. but uh, I, and that but that again that was right around COVID. Co- COVID kind of crashed a lot of things. Oh, and, for um, sure, yeah. But uh, but I think we can bounce back, and you know uh, maybe he'll want to do something like that again. Yeah, Buck Surdu's kind of a legend. I mean, I feel like I've yeah. been hearing that name as long as I've been alive. You know, in terms of this hobby. Yeah, Buck actually. So uh, Buck was in our gaming group in Tallahassee. So he was um, he he moved to Tallahassee for a few years, I think, to work on a master's degree at Florida State. And he was in our gaming group for about two years, and just a lot of fun to play with. You know, it was um, we were moving away from Empire at the time, and so we were playing his Battles for Empire, and that was a nice breath of fresh air, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, Buck, which is super creative and coming up with all kinds of rules, and I, I you know, I, I've uh, his stealing chickens for General Lee was a Civil War skirmish game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his beer and pretzels, uh, World War II games. But uh, yeah, he's kind of an, uh, an icon, you know. Uh, he's yeah. written so many rules and just uh, real big in the, in the gaming industry. Um, but um, I think, you know, Buck's, uh, he, he lives in Florida, so I don't, I don't see him as much as I used to. But um, yeah. great guy. Yeah. Yeah, so so just changing gears for a second. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, the, you know, at this point, you know, the mats you make and things like that. What about a question like this? Um, what are your favorite kinds of games to play? Meaning if you're going to sit down with friends, you know, or you're going to go to Nashcon or something along those lines, what are the kinds of like rules that you sort of gravitate towards? Like what kind of games do you like, I guess, is really what I'm asking. So currently, actually, we get, we we ran a game yesterday at my house uh, and, and Titch was over. Um, we had a couple guys over from the the old Atlanta Club, Atlanta Historical Gaming Society Club. Mm-hmm. But um you know, we ran a uh, 28 millimeter uh, Valor and Fortitude. So um, those rules are available free off the Prairie Managers website. By, yeah, by the way, a buddy of mine ran um, that at one of the like Northeast cons that happened recently. I think it was Havoc, which is um, yeah. I think in Massachusetts. Um, so h- how did the game go? Like, what do you what do you like about those particular rules? Well, they. You know, the thing about Napoleonic rules, it's kind of everybody's looking for that perfect set of rules, right? Oh, believe um, me. I do know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And these are not perfect. I mean, there's no set of perfect rules, right? That's that's the holy grail. Um, but I think that they, you, they, they play quick, they're intuitive, and you get to a resolution. So we actually played, I mean, we played a pretty big battle on a 12-foot table, 12 by 6-foot table, in you know two to three hours we were really uh we were wrapping it up so we played 1806 battle the battle of Saulfeld and 25 Mm -hmm. millimeter um we had all the units represented in the exact order battle was there and you know i'd say from yeah within two to two and a half three hours we were we 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 were you know getting it we were uh, we were calling the game so right now um, that's a big contrast to i guess how you started gaming right because again like for a lot of our 
a lot of our listeners, I think these kinds of conversations are important because if they are just getting into historical miniatures, some of this might sound um, like crazy to them, right? So how it's almost like how you go from in your early days playing games that took 12 hours to finish to now it's like rule sets that really move and are done in like two hours. That's a really big difference, you know? Yeah, I think when you look at the early rule sets, for example, some of the even early TSR sets, you know, a lot of people forget TSR was a wargaming company, but when you think of like Tractics, right, and Chainmail, or, you know, Panzer Warfare from Brian Bloom, Mm -hmm. they were very, you know, those games were very um, crunchy by today's standards, very mathematical, you know? Um, I remember playing in college, you know, uh, uh, Panzer and Armor and 88, you know, board games, and it was just super crunchy. It was, you know, uh, distance that, you know, that you were firing, the type of ammo, you know, the, the, the target's armor thickness and, you know, the angle, right? And was oh, the yeah. shot, you know, was the shot falling? Or, Dude, I rag know? on World War II games all the time <laughs> like that. Like, it, those are, because again, like, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be 42 soon enough. Um, I, I missed out on that. Like, that was more like my dad's sort of generation. So, um, but yeah, hearing some of those stories, exactly what you're talking about, it's like, I can see why it might take, even though they might be great games, but I can see why it would take like many hours to finish. Well, Johnny Reb's a, one of my favorite games, right? And, um, you know, that, but that's a game people love it or hate it. So I think I, I love it, but, you know, it's definitely touches that uh, kind of old grognard spot for me, mm-hmm. you know? A lot of charts. Uh, matter of fact, I hide the charts. When I run Johnny Reb for new players, I just don't even show them the charts because <laughs> it's funny. It's kind of it's an immediate turnoff. <laughs> I just I just like, hey, you 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 give your troops orders, you roll the dice, I'll run the charts. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the way to get new people to Johnny Reb. So, um, but you know, those games were fun in, in their own kind of way. Uh, you know, I, it's still one of my fa- it's still my favorite Civil War set. But it takes a while to play a game. I mean, you're going to be there right. for four, five, six hours, and maybe longer. I mean. A lot of those Johnny Reb games, we'd play them, and then we'd come back the next, leave it set up, you know, in somebody's basement, and then come back the next week and finish it. You know, so right, you're talking right, about right. maybe a, a ten hour game, right? Yeah, not 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 uncommon. You know what's really funny? Like whenever I talk to war gamers, um, especially the good ones, um, you're really describing teaching in so many different ways because it's like, what were you really doing? Like, you know, when you're hiding the chart. It's almost like you're streamlining that process for the players, right? I do that kind of stuff like every single day, you know, instead of like, you know, belaboring the kids with like 80,000 directions about the assignment. It's like you slowly but surely realize in that field that you got to really scale that down. And what matters the most is the game or the lesson, right? Like whatever the goal is sort of at the end of the Yellow Brook Road, you know what I mean? So I guess what I'm trying to say, Corey, is like, I'd be curious to see what you would look like in the classroom, you know? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I didn't, you know, it's, you never know which way these conversations may go, but I do, ha- I was a teacher for a while. So in grad school, I was a TA. I had no um, idea, really. Yeah. So I was a TA. So I did that uh, for three years. I did wait, two so years. Wait, what were of- you, wait, 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 hold on. What were you ta Sorry for interrupting, but I'm very, my interest is peaked. So uh, basic German at Florida State. So um, I was an international affairs ger- slash German major, um, kind of moving more in a business direction, but uh but it, what I was actually studying was international affairs and German. And um, so, so I actually was on a, had a scholarship with the German department and they were, you know, paying me as a TA basically and pay my tuition to teach German 
you know, basic German classes. Um, yeah. So I did two years of that. Well, three years. I did two years of classes. And then I love being a grad student so much that I kind of milked my third year I, w- working on my um, my thesis, right? Right. So, you know, and so I did three years basically to, to get my master's. Wait, so this nine. is making a lot of sense now. Is this why you are so fascinated by the 1806 Napoleonic campaign? Well, I... Um, yeah, partly. So I do like German history, right? right. I'm, I'm like most gamers. I'm a history nut, right? right. So, um, you know, the 1806 campaign is fascinating. I think it, because it's it's a lot of what ifs. I mean, the Prussians didn't win any of the battles, right? You know, they 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 lost every uh, every battle. But uh, if you really study the history, there were plenty of opportunities to. Oh to, yeah. You know, you know, if we were playing this out as a campaign, I mean, I think the Prussian army of 1806 is a very good army. There's kind of a myth that it was, you know, outdated, it, 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 but the men weren't. So, I mean, the men on the in the field could fight, right? Yes. You know, I mean, the, you know, it was the it was the leadership component, the generalship. Right. Yes, yes, yeah, strategy it, versus tactics, right? That's right. It, it was the leadership that failed the Prussians in 1806, and um, so that's what makes it a fascinating kind of what if campaign. Yeah. Um, that's a tough one to teach kids. So I teach a military history class. Like I, I've been doing that for a while now. That's a tough, tough like campaign to explain what i try to do and i'd be curious what your take is on this especially given you know your background what i try to explain to the kids is like looking at the prussian army versus the french army it's almost like all of that regimentation that came out of the like the frederick the great era it's almost like trying to explain to the kids like the prussians might take 10 steps to do something on the battlefield that the french would take three to do so like trying to explain at um at the battle of Jena and Auerstadt how how is it possible that like on one in one of those particular battles right where the most of the prussian army is there trying to defeat Davu and it's like they just can't coordinate that attack well enough because of that regimentation it's a pretty hard thing to explain see i put it down to leadership we know yeah. what i my take on it is people were afraid to make decisions prussian, prussian leadership were you know they were afraid to make decisions where the French encouraged it. Right. Right. Um, so I think the Prussians, a lot of time, you know, those battles, it's, there's a lot of just missed opportunity, you know, had the Prussians attacked at this time or had they been able to coordinate. And I think a lot of it was, you know, Hey, we're waiting on orders or I don't want to make that move until I receive my orders and those kind of things. I think, and, and the, obviously the Prussians learn from that, right? So that's another oh, sure. maxim is, you know, you, the losers, you know, the losers always are the ones that innovate and learn. Right. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, because the, the, the later Prussian army, right, uh, is, is much better. And really, it's uh, those are the same men fighting, essentially, uh, for the most part. But it's um, it's just different leadership or better yeah. leadership. So, um, and, well, yeah, and, and you can argue. Staffs. Yeah, for sure. And look, the other argument you can make, too, about, you know, the importance of those battles, like just in terms of like the context of history is, you know, Clausewitz, the famous theorist, is like watching all of this happen. You know, same thing with Jomini, you know. So it's like in, in so many different ways. The strategies that, you know, particularly the Prussians are going to be using later on when, you know, the Prussian army was like so dominant in the 1860s and 70s and beyond, like so much of that right. comes back to those campaigns. So it's you funny you say that because 1866 is kind of one of my future wargaming periods. I'm always, I, I'm just kind of looking for an excuse to get into it. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you ever played, um, have you ever played bloody big battles by any chance? So, I have not, but I'm loosely familiar with it. I've got some friends that play it. Um, and, uh, but I mean, I, I, what I've heard of it is great, right? It, it is. Big it's battles a lot of fun. played quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, and they have a very like 
devoted fan base. Um, so again, if you're listening out there, right, and you don't know what we're talking about, just for some context, Bloody Big Battles is a, I, I would really call it a really a grand strategic game where essentially every base of miniatures on the table represents X amount of men. So, you know, in some cases, you could even be talking like 1500 people, right? So the whole idea behind Chris Pringle's rules is being able to play a massive battle like Corey's talking about. So looking at, like, for example, the 1866 campaign or even the Franco-Prussian War, um, being able to put the equivalent of, you know, 150,000 people out onto the table, but you can do it on a six by four board. And it's really fun. And if my memory serves you right, some of the mechanics are tied to, Corey, some of those Civil War rules that you really like. I off the top of my head, I can't remember if I think it's, it's Johnny Fire and Fury. Yeah, I think, I think it is Fire yeah. and Fury, where you're basically like creating a bell curve when you're shooting, like mm. at the enemy. So I would highly recommend that. Like if if you want to get into that period, do you like um small scale figures like six mil or ten mil, or do you like more of the twenty fives, twenty eight? I do. I, so I, I'll I'll game anything. I mean, you know, a great example is Civil War. One of my favorite periods. I have two millimeter figures. I have 10 millimeter figures, I have 15 millimeter figures, and I have 28 millimeter figures. I'm like most gamers. I'm just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's hell being a collector, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. And so uh, I'll game anything. Now, my personal preference right now, and I think it really just has to do with aging and eyesight and wearing, um, you know, reading glasses is to paint larger figures. So yeah. right now I prefer to paint 28s. Um, yep. You know, if I'm painting 10 or 15 millimeter figures, it's really, um, it, it, it's much tougher now than it used to be. So 15, yep. uh, I started pro- gaming 15 millimeter um, and then moved to t- moved to 28s. Um, really probably when Titch and I started doing the War of the Roses. Um, mm-hmm. Now I did backtrack and painted some 10 millimeter uh, ACW figures. Um, I was going to do actually uh, Manassas. I was going to mm-hmm. just do specifically that scenario that's a project that never really happened. I was going to actually have a, a, a mat design for minute for bull run and have basically the order of battle, uh, for fire. It was going to be fire and fury. Right. And, um, that, that project just, you, you know how it is. I something else caught my eye, right? Yeah. Something else. And then I, I moved on, but I still have the figures and that I might go back to it. Yeah. Which company did you get them from the tens? They are old GHQ. Most of them. Oh, you wow. Know. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very school. nice. I like um, Pendrakhan. Have you ever seen those? Figures? Yeah, they're wonderful. Oh, they're great. They're wonderful. And also, mm-hmm. um, if my member, I'm trying to remember, I think it's Leon who runs the place. He's great. Like you know, years ago when I was doing a lot of next gen stuff, even before next gen was like a thing at my school, um, he used to hook me up all the time. Like really, just kind of like the same compliment that you gave next gen earlier. Um, just you know, getting kids like gaming, you know, it, it, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of people in the industry who are really about that, which is nice, you know? Yeah. So he would always kind of hook us up. Um, so let me ask you, Corey, because again, like I know our time is a little bit short today. Um, so what are you doing in the future? Like, do you, do, like, I know you had mentioned that like those smaller sort of campaign maps and things like that. Um, what else do you got? Do you kind of have cooking behind the scenes? Well, we've got a lot of new design com- designs coming. Um, can't talk about some of those yet, but, uh, you know, we did epic scale mats. So, you know, those are the big six and a half feet by, you know, 15 feet mats. We did yep. Gettysburg and we did a Waterloo mat. And I think the Waterloo mat's probably one of the best mats we've done in terms of mm-hmm. detail. Um, so, it, you know, just being realistic, if those sell well, which they are, that we'll probably do more. So, yeah. you know, uh, but we... We don't, we're not sure what we want to do. I mean, Borodino, maybe. I mean, you know, there's, uh, uh, but some, you know, some big battles, right? I yeah. can see Shiloh, maybe. Um, 
I don't know. So actually, if you have an idea, reach out, reach out to me. You know, oh, we, for uh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so mean, uh, I don't mean to pry, but I mean, you must have sold thousands of these things at this point, right? I mean, do you actually have a count? I, I know do. it's a weird have, question, but I don't have it in front of me. I mean, I'd have to go into our shop. So we use Big Cartel. Very, it's similar to like Shopify, but um, right. you know, and I, I probably pull a count out of there. But yeah, thousands of mats over the years, right? Yeah, so, that's great. Um, and we we sell mainly. I, I like to call us kind of a boutique online retailer, right? Mm-hmm. We just sell direct to direct to customers, right? We right. don't have a lot of people that carry our mats, um, and um, and then but at shows we do have some people that sell. Uh, so we sell at Nashcon, sometimes at Siege of Augusta. Um, and, uh, but we also have some, uh, Doug Klein from Battlefield Train Concepts. He's usually at the big cons in the he's East. He's great. I love yeah. that, that company. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. He carries our stuff and he carries a lot of buildings and trees and stuff that goes with the mat. So it just, yeah. it works out well. And then Stephen Huckabee from Raven Banner Games, I'll give him a plug. He sells uh, 28 millimeter, um, Civil War figures and a lot of other stuff. He's doing MDF bases and things, but Raven Banner yeah. Games, he's based in Florida and he takes care of some of the Florida conventions like recon, um, Right. So, uh, you know, he'll, so you look out for those guys, uh, you know, um, if you're, you know, attending any of those cons. Right. Do you find that the really specific mats sell more than the more generic ones? Because again, like we'll plug your website and, and get all your info in a little bit, but like for listeners, if, I mean, they make everything like, you know, again, like when I mean everything, I mean everything like desert mats, you know, forested maps, um, farmland. So any kind of battle you're looking to recreate, I mean, Corey basically has it. So what do you find that sells more? I would say the generics, generic mats sell the best. So, you know, just a generic snow mat or a desert mat, and then people will kind of layer it with their own roads or in, in buildings and things like that. But then, you know, sometimes the opposite is true. It's, it's just, you know, it, it's, again, I just call it, it's like chaos theory, right? So then some people don't like that. They want very specific, hey, I want this battle, right? I want right. the battle of... You know, you, you know, you, name any battle that ever happened and somebody's asked for it. Right. right. So, um, you know, uh, so it, they but I'd say the generic syllabus, our best selling mat is probably uh, 410, which is called it's the new grassland mat. It's kind of mm-hmm. our classic mat. You've probably seen it. It's like a speckle. I have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's our best selling mat. And, um, cause people just layer that with their own, with their own terrain. But then other than that, I mean, we sell a ton with roads on them too. And sometimes, you know, we get a lot of feedback, oh, well, it's got a road on it or a feel, but you know, uh, if you get creative enough, what we found is people can, you know, if you don't want to feel there, we'll put a house on it or put, put some woods over it. Um, right. There it's, you're, you're only limited by your imagination. And we've seen right. people take the, the roads and turn those into, um, dirt roads and layer their own, you know, paved roads over the top of it going in different directions. Right. Uh, and now the dirt roads a trail or I've seen people use our 15 millimeter battle of Nashville mat and 25 millimeter and the roads become paths. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, the rivers become streams. So you can up or down scale. I've seen people use a lot of the mats for micro armor um, that work, you know, as long, so a lot of the Civil War mats will work for micro armor. They have very thin roads. Um, yeah. You know what's so, funny, Corey? In a really weird way, I, I don't, I've always found this. I've always found roads are the hardest thing to get right in wargaming. Like, cause you can buy trees, you can buy houses. All of that stuff can be, you know, super specific, but roads and where they go and like permanently putting them on the map or like, do you use felt? Do you go and make your own? Like it, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but I've always found that to be one of the tricky, you're right. Roads and streams, right? Roads and streams. Yeah. Yeah. You know, matter of fact, Tish came over to my house yesterday and, um, he looked at my streams and he said, man, these are horrible. You know, these are the worst looking streams I've ever seen. (laughs) And, um, but also look, here's the thing. 
we're gonna we'll keep picking on Titch just as we wrap up. But we, uh, we will have we will have Titch on like the whole idea again for listeners is eventually we're gonna do some friends casts where essentially it's less about like the professional nature of wargaming and it's more like just kind of talking about games and making jokes and things like that. But look, you know, there are people out there that are very critical, right? Titch is one of those people. You know, he will look at a beautiful painted fi- uh, you know, figure and he will find something to say about it. You know what I mean? And by the way, yeah, Titch, yeah. I know you're listening. We love you. That's I right. Promise. We love Titch. But no, <laughs> I, I appreciate the feedback, right? I love honest feedback. And um yeah. You know, although I'll tell you, you know, you know, Jared, you know, Titch, you know, the real reason he said that, and I know Titch is listening, is he had brought his own rivers and dropped them <laughs> on my house earlier, and I decided not to use them because yeah. I really did like the look of them. So I think he, that's, that's a, that's a classic Titch move. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Let's, but flipping it around though, right? Um, people that have that mentality though sometimes will bring the best out of people, right? And I don't Absolutely. mean, that, I don't mean that to be lame, but like, or sound lame, but, you know, I've gotten such great advice over the years from, you know, gamers who have been who have been doing it longer than me. And it's like and, you know, I have been thinking a lot about this as we've been talking, like just how far this hobby has sort of come. Right. Because, again, you're a little older than I am. And I, you know, but but that said, you know, I can remember being a little kid, like walking around, you know, gaming cons in the or very early 90s, you know, being very young, like in elementary school and, you know, People using like masking tape for roads, you know, or, you know, putting out a double layer of masking tape and painting it blue for a river, you know, sometimes people not even having a gaming mat. And it's more like just literally a tabletop or using books for hills and things like that. So just to think about how far the hobby has come um, is is really, I don't know, it's, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, oh, maybe just so modern at this point. Maybe that's the word that I'll use, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a golden age for wargaming, right? Yeah. From the mats to the terrain, the 3D printed buildings. I mean, the, the figures, you know, I remember when I started having to convert a lot of figures and gamers older than me would tell you they had to convert just about everything. Right. Um, we're definitely living in a golden age of wargaming. If it's out there, you can find it. Yeah, um, for sure. So by the way, for listeners, what what Corey's talking about when talk when you know like talking about the idea of conversion is like you know back in the day if a, a line of figures didn't exist but you really wanted to do a particular battle or you might have to like chop heads off you might of uh, figures i mean you might have to like change the way the weapon war- looks add things to the you know uh figure now again that happens a lot now as well but it's more for fun not like a necessity so back in the day it could very well be a necessity, like that if you wanted to put something on, you would have to do a lot of work to the figures themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun in that. But now it's just a fun part of the hobby. I know for my 1806 project, I had to cut quite a few heads off and add bicorns to limber, you know, artillery, you know, our limber drivers and things like that. But that's just for fun. Um, right. But, you know, everything's available now, but we're, um, you know, back to what's upcoming. Like I said, we've maybe more larger mats. Um, mm-hmm. We're uh, we're definitely looking at doing uh, the pushing the, 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 the vinyl mats a little more. Mm-hmm. And then we actually have something This is kind of a crazy idea. We don't have these uh, available yet, but uh, uh, a different material. It's more it's like a rug material. So it's mm-hmm. a much thicker material and it could be actually used as a rug. So, you know, if you like uh, our, our battle in Nashville, Matt, you could have it as a uh, six by four rug underneath oh, your, uh, awesome. your coffee table. That right? is very so, cool. That yeah, is a so very cool idea. <laughs> we're looking at doing those. We've done round mats before. We were we were pulled aside. I think it was in Nashville, and somebody said, "Hey, you guys should do round mats because a lot of hotels the tables are round, right? Right. 
And we thought about it and said, that's not a bad idea. You know, mm-hmm. why not play a skirmish game on a round map, right? Yeah. Um, so we have some round maps available on our website, but we're always just looking for something new and, you know, just to keep growing and, and be innovative and, um, yeah. you know, uh, so... Uh, and just adding more designs. I mean, that's really our bread and butter. We'll be adding a lot more just different designs. Right. Well, what's wild to me too, again, like thinking about like the modernization of the hobby, just the fact that I will occasionally like be at a bar or be somewhere and looking at people playing D&D <laughs> like at the bar, you know, which would be unheard of like in the like it, at least where I grew up like back in the back in the day like you rarely talked about this sort of thing with people. Well, and now it's such a different world. You know? I, I grew up in the eighties, you know, playing D and D with my friends and w- w- the, that was a well-kept secret, right? You, yeah. You know, that was uh you, you know, you'd probably get bullied on the school bus uh, if you were kind of known as the D and D player. And now it's just kind of funny to see Lord of the Rings and D and D and everything's very mainstream now. And it, yeah. it, that's a great, that's a great yeah. thing. Right? Nerds have taken over the world, <laughs> That's <laughs> taken correct. over yeah, Hollywood, taken over pretty much everything, you know? So, well, look, Corey, I don't mean to keep you because um, I know that our, our time frame was a little bit tight today. So let me ask you something. What uh, if somebody that's listening doesn't already know, you know, anything about Cigar Box Battles, how should a listener find you and, and where should they find you? Social media is the easiest way. So we have okay. an Instagram, Instagram account at CBB Picks um, and, and uh, we have Facebook and we also have a Twitter and a lot of people. Um, when, one thing we didn't ask, but I'll tell the reason we're called Cigar Box Battle is back in the day when I didn't have any money, I used to um, put my miniatures in cigar box uh, yeah. boxes, and I started a blog called Cigar Box Heroes. And I ah. don't really, uh, I don't really update it, but it's still out there. And um, that that's the origin. So uh, you know, it was Cigar Box Heroes um, because that's all I could afford because they were free to put my miniatures in. So I'd right. roll into battles, you know, with these in these cigar boxes, and yeah. that, that was. There were other people doing that, but uh, I, then I started the blog, and then we decided to call the company Me and Chris Cigar Box Battles. Um, no, that's awesome. Although now, what's funny with Facebook is uh, some, sometimes we get tagged for uh, a, a tobacco products where we have <laughs> we we have nothing to do with tobacco products, <laughs> right? Right. right, so, right. And well, good um, to put that out there <laughs> for our listeners. That's great. Well, look, um, it was really really nice talking to you. And again, with the amount that we talked about, Titch White, we'll. We'll introduce the world to him on a friend's cast at some point soon. Um, and we'll just have to have a disclaimer for the three of us that we have to behave <laughs> and be professional. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. indeed. This is a lot of fun. Um, and by the way, I'm going to hold you to it. So, um, you know, whenever you run some of those games, uh, whether it's whichever store level up or gigabytes or wherever you do it, yeah, Next Gen would love to come down and uh, have a couple of people there. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. We'll get right, you down cool. here. All right, Corey. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Have yeah, yeah. Day. It was a lot of fun. You'll be back on at some point. So, all right, Love man. It. Thank you. See you Take later. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20 sided gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.